morning, everybody. My name is Brad Kindle. I am the lead pastor here, and we're going to be doing Q&A this morning after the message. So uh, if you have a question, I invite you to text that question to that number on the screen, or you can write out a question on the Ask Pastor Brad card, and uh, one of the ushers will grab it as you hold it up, as you wave it to, to their attention later on in the service. Uh, all right. Just to get you thinking, have you ever, raise your hand, if you've ever received a Christmas gift you didn't want? Yeah. All of us, right? Yeah, this is kind of normal. Uh, when I was a kid growing up in Phoenix, my aunt and uncle, who uh, lived in Minnesota, every year would send our family a package of Minnesota wild rice. Now, I guarantee you, there has never been a child in Arizona who put Minnesota wild rice on their Christmas list. My mom would make it, and I still would wonder why someone would think this is good. I now actually really enjoy it, so if you want to give me that gift, I very much enjoy Minnesota wild rice. But, you know, sometimes we get gifts and we're like, oh, man, really? Now, there are other times, of course, when we get a gift and we have no idea what the gift really is. You know, and you get that gift and you open up and you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Wow. Yeah, all right. Uh, what is it? <laughs> right? You, you all had that experience. Uh, read this with me, if you would. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Yeah, I think a lot of people, uh, when it comes to the gift of the Christ child, they think, oh, wow, okay, uh, thanks so much. Uh, what, what, what do I quite do with this, right? One of the reasons the Bible exists is to help us understand this indescribable Gift. Last week, we focused on the gift of Emmanuel. Uh, Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God's sign that God is with us and that God is for us. This week, we're going to go on a different journey, and it's going to be another adventure in uh, helping us understand this indescribable gift. So let's pray before we go further. Holy God, we are grateful that your Spirit is active right now. Right in this moment, you are present. You are loving us more than we could ever love ourselves. You are truth, and truth sets us free. We pray, Holy God, that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. We pray that you would turn our eyes from worthless things. Give us the life that you alone can give, the life we're designed for. In your name we pray. Amen. Our exploration begins in three short but very weighty verses. If you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 25 through 27. We're going to be focusing on one particular verse here, but it'll be good to have the other two to give a little bit of context here. So uh, grab a Bible when you're there, stand, and we're going to read this. I'll read it out loud, but we stand uh, because we believe this is the Holy Word of God. Hebrews 7, 
Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. You may be seated. Three short verses. Where is the gift here? Congratulations, world. God has given us a bouncing baby high priest. <laughs> and you might be thinking, okay, wow. What do I do with that? <laughs> right? Well, let's start here. What is a priest? A priest is an intercessor for the sins of the people. If we go all the way back to the founding of the nation of Israel, we learn God appointed 12 tribes. There was a, there was a literal, literal guy named Israel, <laughs> and he had 12 sons. And God, out of those 12 sons, created his holy nation, the nation of Israel. And out, one of those sons... Uh, was was Levi, the line of Levi. Uh, Aaron's brother, Mo, uh, Moses' brother Aaron, was part of that tribe. And they became the Levitical priests. And they were responsible for bringing the sin offerings or sacrifices of Israel into the presence of God uh, for asking for forgiveness for the sins of the people. And the priestly office, quite frankly, was a bloody business. Yeah, the priestly office was a bloody business for the priest was offering literal blood sacrifice. Animals dying, cutting, and blood being spilled because the people missed the mark. They, they, were, they were wandering outside of God's intention. So day after day, the priests, first in the tabernacle, then in the temple in Jerusalem, the priests would, would uh, make intercession. For the sins of the people, for their sins, but also for the sins of the people. And then among the, the priests, there would be appointed one high priest. Hebrews 5 tells us every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now, this was the highest of priestly callings. And the high priest, he would wear a special gold breastplate and inscribed with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and he would uh, uh, wear a turban with a crown of gold inscribed with the words, holy to Yahweh, holy to God. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest was given permission by God to enter the most sacred of holy places in the temple, the holy of holies, but only after he had offered the proper sacrifice for his own sins. And then he would offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. He would intercede on behalf of the people with sacrifice. And this would happen. Year after year after year after year, bloody sacrifice after bloody sacrifice, for no priest was perfect. And no sacrifice was eternally sufficient. But what if? What if a high priest could be found who didn't need to offer sacrifice for their sins? And what if that high priest 
offered himself as the purest and the final substitutionary perfect sacrifice for all of humanity. What if? It's kind of hard to wrap our brains around us, around that, but it is a bit of an indescribable gift, but God has given us a bouncing baby priest who is perfect. Verse 26 from the text today says, Jesus is a high priest who truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart for sinners, exalted above the heavens. Jesus is the perfect gift of high priest. Now, what else makes him perfect? He's sinless. He, uh, he's exalted above the heavens. He's pure. He's blameless. Hebrews 4.15 also says this, though. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Now, why is that important to his perfection? Uh, isn't it helpful when you come to know someone who gets you? You know, uh, uh, I was a church planter once, which means I, I, it was part of starting a church. When I would meet other church planters, it was like, oh, yeah, you kind of get what I'm going through, right? Or if you're, let's say you're a teacher, uh, and, and you meet another teacher, you know, somewhere at coffee, and, oh, I'm, I'm a teacher, you're a teacher, okay, yeah, we kind of get each other. Or you've been in the military, you kind of, it's like, oh, you, what branch did you serve? Okay, yeah, we kind of get each other. Isn't that helpful? Uh, years ago, when I started in ministry, I'm, I'm in my early 20s, and um, uh, I am seeking to be in a, a place that God has called me to. Um, pastors are often called to be intercessors. We, we pray intercessorily. I don't know if that's a word, but uh, we, we, we pray on behalf of people to God. You know, you're in the hospital or you're struggling with something. We would intercede and we would pray. And over the years, and sometimes people might say, well, well, Pastor Brad, what do you think about X, Y, or Z? And I'd give my, you know, my best shot of it from a biblical answer. And I did okay, I think. Okay, I don't, I don't think I broke anything for the most part. But over time, I realized, you know, in those early years, I was missing something. What was I missing? I was missing suffering. Yeah. Uh, up to that point in my life, I'll be honest with you, I hadn't suffered a whole lot. Came from a great home. Uh, people loved me. I knew God loved me. Yeah, I just kind of lived this kind of easy life. But as you move through life, you know, the wheels of living kind of do stuff to you. And they kind of break things. And that suffering actually, in God's economy, becomes kind of a gift. So, you know, moving through life to have uh, suddenly someone in the family who deals with, deals with addictions uh, and then leaves. Uh, yeah, boy, that does something to you. Um, and then, you know, being suddenly a single parent, that does something to you. Um, and going through a divorce, that does something to you. Um, trying to uh, uh, then get remarried, that does something to you. Blending a family, that, did a, that does something to you. And then, getting hit by a truck on your bicycle, 
that does something to you. <laughs> you know, and having to, having to understand what it is to move through space with a wheelchair, uh, and then a walker, and then, uh, you know, crutches, and, and feeling pain. You know, all these things, they, they, they bring some scars. And in God's economy, that suffering actually does something. It actually makes you a better minister to others. Isn't that interesting? This God that we serve, this high priest who has been sent, he gets us. He gets all of our suffering. Yeah, uh, Isaiah says, our high priest was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was led like a lamb to slaughter. And something that hit me this week, I don't know if it's going to hit you, but it hit me, is the scars of Jesus were not, and I don't think are not, just physical. Because think about it. If you are lied to, or lied about, that hurts your heart. It scars something inside. Guess what? Our high priest, he was lied to and lied about. He gets us. Or let's say, uh, do you know what it is to be uh, tempted? Yeah. Our priest, he's been tempted in every way, it says. Do you know what it is to be falsely accused? To be ridiculed? That hurts. Our high priest understands what it is to be falsely accused and ridiculed. Ridiculed. Do you know what it is to be racked with pain so much that emotionally it seems like your, your heart's being torn apart? Our high priest knows that pain. William Willimon writes, Here is a great high priest whose idea of holiness has absolutely nothing to do with distance, aloofness, or unspotted pure detachment. His holiness is precisely in his daring to be so close. That's our high priest. He's been broken on the wheels of living. Yet he was without sin. Now you might push back there a little bit, and I get it. You know, oh, Pastor Brad, okay. He, he was tempted, he sympathizes with our weakness. Yeah, but I'm a sinner. He doesn't know what it's like to bear the weight of sin. Well, I think he does. Absolutely. I mean, you think about the way you bear the weight of sin... 1 Peter 2.24 says that in his body, he bore the sins of the whole world. Now, I think he understands the weight of sin. Don't make the mistake, church, of thinking this high priest doesn't understand every single part of us. Okay. Okay, Pastor Brad, uh, but that was then. This is now. God has given us a high priest. I, I need it for now. Is there a now to his priesthood? Well, absolutely there is. Secondly, God has given us a priest who forever intercedes. He forever intercedes. Uh, now, church, it would be a huge mistake, a huge misunderstanding of the gift of Christ for us to see the gift of Jesus as the gift that stopped giving. I think that's what a lot of people assume. You know, we, we're so glad Jesus lived, he died, he set us free. But that was a long time ago. 
What about right now? No, no, no. Let's not make the mistake of limiting the gift of the high priest to Good Friday, to the cross. No, Jesus' high priestly duties don't stop there. Our text today says that he always lives to intercede for us. And think about that for a second. There has never been a point in your whole life where Jesus was not in some way interceding for you. Never. I don't know what your deepest, darkest moment of shame might look like, but I do know what it looked like in heaven. The Son of God, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, was interceding for you. Right now, in this moment, in that moment, in that moment, Jesus is interceding for us. What does that look like? Let me tell you what it doesn't look like. I think the picture some of us receive in reading this is, okay, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, and he's there because God the Father is mad. He is so angry. He's pulled out his judgment bat, and he's like, Son, get out of my way. These are a stiff-necked people. I need to come after them right now. And Jesus is like, uh, he's right next to God on the right hand saying, No, Dad, no, please, don't hit Faith Covenant Church. That is not a biblical image. It's, it's not biblical at all. No, we have to understand Jesus under intercession um, with the understanding that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit always live in one purpose and design. Always. The forever intercession of the Son is as much the Father's designs as it is the Son's. I mean, think about it. It was out of the Father's perfect love that the Son was sent to become God with us, to suffer and die. So... Satan and sin and death would be defeated and then to rise again forever as our eternal advocate. Now, see, Jesus is interceding because there's still an accuser. Do you know what the word Satan means? It means accuser. Yeah, I I think a better picture, and it's not sufficient, (laughs) uh, But a better picture is an understanding that the Satan, the accuser, is still seeking to carry around your laundry list and my laundry list of sins because the uh, the all-sufficient work of the cross, the accuser doesn't believe, has paid the penalty for all those sins. But the reality is, we are forever declared right... With God, even though there's an accuser standing against us. The scars on Jesus' hands and feet declare this penalty for these people has been forever paid. It's finished. This is why Paul writes, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
But he's not trying to get God, who is suddenly God the Father, who has suddenly become forgetful about the sufficiency of the cross. <laughs> he's not interceding that way. His intercession is because he has forever paid the price, so the accuser has no leg to stand on. I mean, think about this. Satan's case against you has no judicial legs to stand on because Jesus eternally lives as a physical proof of an eternally sufficient intercession. Our intercessor bears the scars. It is finished. Paid in full. This is why the writer of Hebrews tells us, thirdly, God has given us a priest who saves completely. Now think about this. What, it, what would it mean if our high priest only saves partially? You ever thought about that? Let's say you've, uh, you've been accused of uh, ten different uh, crimes, and your lawyer has come, they've already argued a really good case, and you've been found uh, innocent of nine, but there's still one you're going to be held guilty for. Well, one, you are not completely justified. You are not completely right in the eyes of the court. And you're going to have to pay the penalty for the one crime because you've only partially been justified. No. But our text says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Now, how is this possible? Well, what I'd like to do is I'd, I'd like for you to, to go on a journey with me. Go for, we're going to go from the bouncing baby in, in Bethlehem who grew up. We're going to go all the way to the last week of his life. And the last week of Jesus' life looks like a high priestly journey. So, it's the last week. Jesus walks into Jerusalem. Where does he go? The high priest goes to the temple. And what does he do once he gets to the temple? He sees these money changers. They're selling uh, things that they shouldn't be selling within the temple courtyard. And so what does the high priest do? He flips over the tables and he, he declares, my father's house will be a house of prayer. Then he says something interesting. He says, tear down this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. And what's he saying? This temple is not the eternal temple. This body is the eternal temple. You are all thinking that this physical space is where you meet God. No, this is the space. The physical body of Jesus is where you meet God. Thursday night then, fast forward Thursday night in the upper room, the high priest is with 12 disciples. How many tribes did I say there were in Israel? 12. 12 disciples. Why? New creation. Uh, we can go on and on about that. But this, this is new creation language. And this high priest, what does he do? He's, he's presiding over a sacred meal. The Passover meal. And he took... This is what happened in festivals where the priests were involved. They would take physical stuff. And they would apply spiritual stuff to it. And so the high priest, he takes, he takes the bread. He gives thanks for it and then he breaks it. This is my body broken for you. What is that? That's sacrifice language, right? Then he takes a cup after the meal. And he says, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Now, when someone would come to the temple, 
and offer and, and, a, and an animal was sacrificed, what the priest would do is hold a cup and, and catch the blood. This blood is the new covenant of my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Now, these are high priest actions, aren't they? Jesus, the next day, he's arrested, he's tortured, he's taken outside of the walls of Jerusalem, Golgotha, the hill of the skull. And, uh, and there, you know, kind of, I think God, what God does is he takes imagery and he applies spiritual meaning to it, which doesn't mean that it's not real. It means he's bringing alive to us something in, in a deeper cosmic understanding. You know, in, in, in the high priest on the day of the atonement, they, they place the sins on, on the scapegoat. Sins of the people placed in the scapegoat, sent out, out of Jerusalem, out into the wild. Where's Jesus? The sacrificial lamb, he's on the hill, outside of the walls. And there the blood is spilt, right? Of this particular being, the high priest. Blood is poured out. Scriptures say there, there, uh, there is no uh, saving of sin without the spilling of blood. A soldier, to verify that he's dead, takes a spear and he plunges it into the side of Jesus. And what pours out? Blood and water. Blood and water. What's going on there? Uh, the, you know, the blood, the, the, the high priest on the Day of Atonement would take the blood and sprinkle it on the people, declaring the, the reconciling of people with God. And then uh, the water, I don't know, there's this image in Ezekiel where a prophecy that one day streams of living water would flow out of the temple and wherever that water flowed, new life would bloom. So here comes this blood and this water poured out of the living temple that is Jesus. Three days later, the temple rebuilt, risen. Soon after, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of Christ, after Jesus ascends, the Spirit of Christ is poured out into the church. What is the church? The body of Christ. Hmm. What's the result of this high priestly action? The result is, it's finished. It's over. Paid in full. New beginning. New creation. Second Adam. Oh my goodness. Hebrews writes, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, the first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. This being the case, what would it mean for you personally to come to God through Christ like that text says? What would it look like for you to personally come to God recognizing that God has given you a perfect priest who saves Completely. Someone who right now loves you so much 
that He is interceding for you. And it goes on forever. Is there any downside to trusting in Him? I don't think there is. Let's pause there for q and I'm going to invite Ryan up to help me with that today. As you ponder that question, what would it look like for you to come to God through Christ? If you're new to Faith Covenant Church, we do Q&A quite a bit. Uh, we always reserve the right to be wrong. Um, and I'm going to let... Let's, let's try it. Let's see. Let's try that one. <laughs> all right. This first one asks, If Jesus is the Savior of all mankind, why did it take so long to come to earth? Why didn't he come right after Adam and Eve's sin? It's a great question. Um, I, a number of things that I just want to throw out there with that question. Uh, interesting footnote. Um, the early church writings see Adam as the first priest, which is I, I found interesting. I, didn't, I, I hadn't quite fathomed that until I did, did some of my research. Adam being the first priest, um, with, with creation being God's temple, and Adam as that first one who was uh, in the most intimate relationship uh, with God. And it's interesting that some of the stuff I was reading talked about the, the original temple was filled with all kinds of creation imagery. Uh, so, for what it's worth. Um, yeah, some people, another way of asking that question is, um, how come um, after Jesus was born, the, the infant wasn't crucified? Which is a, a stark image, I know. But it's like, if, if he was just supposed to die for our sins... Uh, why didn't why didn't we you just get her done? You know, um, one I don't fully know the best answer to this. Um, I'll say a, a couple things: is God's understanding of time is is perfect. Our understanding of time is not. Um, the scriptures say that the return, the consummation of Jesus' kingdom, the saving of all things forever. We'll, that'll all be consummated once every people group has heard the good news of the kingdom. So there's that. Um, there's, I think it's a Matthew in the, in, the, in the birth narrative talks about or, or in the fullness of time. Um, there's something, something about God's wisdom in time and his plan that meant it needed to happen this way. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts? I mean, I think there's probably something to be said about, um, you know, that us as humanity needed to realize that we're messed up and we can't do it on our own. Hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Hmm? Sure. Maybe. It's a great question. <laughs> I, I don't know the, the, the answer we've given. I'll just, I'm, I'm comfortable saying God's smarter than I am. And uh, <laughs> I, I reside in that a lot. <laughs> All right. So in that vein... Um, does Jesus intercede for us before we're believers? Does he? Uh, does Jesus intercede for non-believers? Uh, I would say yes. You know, we have to say Jesus' intercession on the cross um, for God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. 
Um, so those who believe in him um, will not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son to condemn the world but to save it. So, you know, we have to say the cross is intercession for the whole world. Uh, God so loved the whole world that he sent the son to intercede through the cross. Um, there's another just kind of a, a, a $2 word, a $2 phrase, prevenient grace. This is uh, grace this is the grace of God working in our lives to shepherd us to him, to that point of faith where we believe in and depend upon him. I believe that the Holy Spirit of God, uh, is, is the, which is the Spirit of Christ, is through the grace of God shepherding the whole world toward himself. There will come a point when everyone will come to that throne you know, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The Holy Spirit of God, out of grace, continues to shepherd everything toward that. Um, so I would say, yes. Um, you know, think of it another way. If um, uh, I owe a debt and Ryan says, I will pay your debt, um, he's saying, I'll intercede for you in this debt problem you have, and I reject... If I say, I don't want you to pay my debt, my debt, I reject you paying my debt, that doesn't mean he's not interceding for me. It just means I've, I've rejected the intercession. Okay? okay. Um, so with that, then, uh, this next question asks, what is our role as Christians regarding intercession? Like perhaps intercession for others? Sure, yeah. Uh, that's a uh, great question. Um, I think we... so. We are the body of Christ. Uh, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, the body of Christ is, is so the the Son sits at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us. I believe there is, you know, with Christ as our head, we are that body. And this, I'm I'm getting to indescribable gift stuff here, but we are that body called to um, intercede on behalf of um, humanity and the world as the body of Christ. Uh, one thing we didn't have a ch- chance to get to, but if you go to 1 Peter 2, we are called priests. Um, we're called a holy nation. And so we all have a, a, a priestly office as the body of Christ. Okay. Uh, Last one. One more? Yep. This one says, I thought Jesus' death took away our sin, so why does Jesus still have to intercede for us? What do you think, Ryan? (laughs) Let me ponder that one again. We had that last service, and I'm trying to remember what I said. Um, Yeah, yes. Uh, So you talked about uh, Satan as our adversary. Mm. And that um, the purpose of the intercession is not to hold off a vengeful, wrathful God, but rather working, working, against our, uh, working against our adversary. Now, I don't know about you, but um, when I was young, when I first accepted uh, Jesus as my Savior, I've sinned since then, believe it or not, once or twice, <laughs> but I've sinned since then. And so because of that, I still have this adversary who is... Um, who is not for me, who is, who is against me. And so Jesus is, is interceding for me against my adversary. 
I think that's kind of how we talked about it. Yeah, and actually, let me, I'll close with this image. Maybe this will be helpful. So Jesus' intercession is also for you and me. And and what I mean by that is, so let's say um, Ryan has been, um, uh, years ago, a a case was brought to court and he was acquitted of a crime, okay? Um, It was declared, and and he's, he's right with the court. Right. Um, But let's say the accuser from 20 years ago uh, comes again with, well, but 20 years ago he did X, Y, Z. Then the the one who is the uh, intercessor can say, no, it's of it's on the record. Look, this has been paid in full. Boom. Can say that to the accuser, but can also say and maybe this is something you need to hear today, can also say to Ryan, remember that was taken care of. That's all paid for. That was done. That, that, that's over. And so I'm, I'm grateful that even in my, you know, the hurt parts of my life right now where I feel like I, I, I stumble and I, I fail God, I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit of Christ comes to me and says, hey, I'm, I'm, I've interceded uh, in every possible way, but I want to intercede with you right now, Brad. <laughs> Just remember, it's all done. Mm-hmm. It's over. Anytime I forget that, the Holy Spirit's there to say, it's over. Paid in full. You are right with God. Not because you're such a great cat, (laughs) but because I've taken care of everything. So that's another part of the intercession, I believe. Let's stop there. Uh, Thank you, Ryan. Give Ryan a big round of applause. I'd like to give, uh, if if you're here this morning and you have never crossed the line of faith and said, all right, I give up. I want to put my life in the hands of this perfect high priest. If you've never done that, I'd like to give you an opportunity right now to do that. The way that begins is a simple, yes, Lord, be my Lord, be my Savior, be my King. I accept your gift and your sacrifice. Let's pray. The way I did this when, when I was much younger is I, I, I set a line of a prayer that someone said. I just repeated it to God. I'm going to ask you to do that now if you've never done this. Lord Jesus, I admit I am a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe you lived, died, and rose again. So I might be forever rescued. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus. So I might be empowered to follow you now and forever. Amen. It's so interesting. This journey with God, it begins so simply. It's like if, if, if I wanted to go somewhere with you and I said, hey, you, you want to go this way with me? If you said yes, then we'd begin a journey, right? That's the way it always begins. And you can reject and say, no, I don't want to go with you, Brad. No, I don't want to go with you, Lord. But if you say yes, then you begin the journey. And the Holy Spirit guides us that way. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, we're so glad you're here. Uh, Jill and I are going to be out at the the welcome tables. We'd love to uh, greet you and give you a shameless free gift. Um, 
we are, I'm supposed to say something else, I don't remember what it is. Oh, we're going to have prayer people down front who would love to pray for you if, something, if you have something on your heart. And I'm going to close with an Advent benediction. We are in the season of, of Advent, a season celebrating the longing for Christ's coming. Will you please stand? Good news. We are the people of Christ's peace. Let his peace live in your heart. Share the peace of Christ with all you meet this week. Share peace by acting out of compassion, not fear. Share peace by praying for our world. Share peace by listening to all sides of the story. In this Advent season, our world is longing to see, feel, and sense the peace of Christ. So as we go out into God's creation, share peace, share hope with all those you meet. Go in peace. Have a great week.